I want to take just a moment of personal privilege as we begin this time of listening for God's word to us. I want to address the information that's been released this week that I intend to retire in 2021. I wish we were together here at the church for this conversation, but under the circumstances, the best I can do is talk with you through this technology. I want you to know, though, that I look forward to when we can talk and share personally and when we can celebrate what God has given to us in these past 15 years. A new season is emerging for the church and for me personally. I'll be 66 years old next spring, and I'm looking forward to spending more time with my family who live in far-flung parts of the country. We've purchased a home in Nashville, Tennessee to be closer to two of our children and our five grandchildren, and we plan to spend much more time there as well as with our daughter and son-in-law in Northern California. Thank you for your trust and support as I learned how to become your pastor. Thank you for enriching my life and the life of my entire family these past 15 years. And thank you for your prayers and notes and many kindnesses along the way. We've several more months together before I retire next year, and I look forward to seeing you personally when hopefully this pandemic is behind us. You will receive some information this week from the session of the church regarding a process for moving forward with leadership transitions in the church. I'm confident in the Lord that the best years are still ahead for San Marino Community Church, and it's been my privilege to help strengthen the foundation upon which others can build. Speaking of foundations, let's turn now to our scripture text for today as we continue in this sermon series entitled Less Fear, More Faith. Our text comes from Romans chapter 11. Listen for God's word. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I glorify my ministry in order to make my own people jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And if the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And if the root is holy, then the branches also are holy. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in their place to share the rich root of the olive tree, do not boast over the branches. If you do boast, remember that it is not you that support the root, but the root that supports you. You will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Well, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand only through faith. So do not become proud, but stand in awe. For if God did not spare the natural branches, perhaps he will not spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. 
And even those of Israel, if they do not persist in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you have been cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. You know, throughout the scriptural witness, the life of the people of God is illustrated with agricultural images that may have been more familiar to them than they are to us. Those whose hearts turn away from the Lord are like shrubs in the desert. They live in the parched places in the wilderness. Or conversely, those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord, are like trees planted by the water. They do not fear when the heat comes or the year of the drought because they have roots beneath the surface that nourish them and so they continue to bear fruit in spite of what happens above ground. Other images that come to mind. Jesus said, beware of false prophets. You'll know them by their fruits. I mean, are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? I mean, in the same way, every Good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Thus you will know them by their fruits. So it's no surprise that while Jesus is walking with his disciples through the garden of Gethsemane with vines and olive trees all around him, he turned and he said, I am the true vine. My father's the vine grower. Abide in me as I abide in you. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In other words, God above's the gardener and there's nothing that brings more joy to the Lord than a human being fully alive, living a fruit-filled life. That only happens when you remain connected. Life flows through all those connected parts, the roots, the branches, the leaves, tendrils, and the fruit. Life requires connections. There's a story of a newspaper reporter that went to an interview for a successful entrepreneur several years ago. How'd you do it, he said. How did you make all this money? I'm glad you asked, said the entrepreneur. Actually, it's a rather wonderful story. When my wife and I were first married, we started out with a simple roof over our heads, some food in the pantry, and about five cents between us. I took that nickel down to the grocery store. I bought an apple. I shined it up. Then I sold it for 10 cents. What'd you do then, asked the reporter. Well, he said, then I bought two more apples, and I shined them up, and I sold them for 20 cents. Now the reporter's thinking he has this great human interest story. It's a Horatio Alger's success story. Then then what he said? Well, then my father-in-law died and he left us $20 million, said the businessman. That man prospered, but not because of his ingenuity, because he was connected. Look, we all know the value of networking. 
Online, we may be part of LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram or some other uh, social media network. We ask connected people to write letters of recommendation for us to accompany our college application or our job application. We choose colleges based upon the connections that will form for us so that we can enter professions with connections already established. We know the value of connections. Joining a country club or a school board or the city council takes connections. You know, a few years ago, I visited the Flora Springs Vineyard in Napa Valley with several seminary presidents. Ted and Julie are the owners. It's a family-owned business that Julie's parents bought back in the 1970s. And Ted, her husband, became the horticulturalist. And he's got to be pretty capable because he had recently received Grower of the Year in the Napa Valley just a few years ago. They took us out to their vineyard to show us how to cut back a vine. You prune like you would roses, and you do it at a similar time of the year when the plant is most dormant. 70% of the vine is pruned away and burned to prevent disease. That's the same as it was in the first century. The gardener cuts near the buds. Cane pruning is one form that allows the healthiest two canes to remain and all others are then removed and burned. Usually there's a trellis structure to support the canes in that case. Another form is called spur pruning. It takes about 20 minutes per vine to do the pruning. The point was clear. Sometimes for new growth to occur in any living organism, pruning is needed and it can seem drastic. Sometimes the Lord prunes our lives. Sometimes our Lord prunes in order for new growth to occur, and sometimes it's painful. Jesus used this metaphor of vines and branches and those who walked by vineyards every day to instruct them about the spiritual life. In essence, he says, to live a fruitful life, you have to be connected. And we all know that on some level, but Jesus goes further. He says the truly fruitful life is the one that remains connected to him. And then he goes even further. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's vitally important to stay connected to Christ in order to realize our potential and to live a fruitful life. Paul puts it this way, remember that it is not you that supports the root, but the root that supports you. I've used this story previously, but it captures, I think, the idea of a different way to be rooted in life. As the fifth assembly of the World Council of Churches was drawing to a close, the well-known anthropologist Margaret Mead rose to her feet. She approached the microphone. She surveyed the gathering throng. Two and a half thousand people of many cultures and denominational labels speaking hundreds of different languages people ranging from a Ghanaian high court judge to a Memphis used car salesman, from the Archbishop of Canterbury to a tribesman from northern Kenya 
who had walked for three days just to watch and to listen and to pray. Dr. Mead said, you people are a sociological impossibility. You have absolutely nothing in common except your extraordinary conviction that Jesus Christ is Savior of the world. That simple conviction has been enough to motivate believers to share the good news of the gospel with others, sometimes at great personal risk and sacrifice. That simple conviction has been enough to motivate believers to create communities of worship and learning all over the world. That conviction has been enough for believers to build institutions of higher education, to teach children of all colors and abilities and backgrounds how to read and write, how to add and subtract. That simple conviction has moved people to construct hospitals and clinics and retirement homes and facilities for those with disabilities to care for those who can no longer care for themselves. It's a grand vision of community. A place where we become more than the sum of our parts. A place where we take our place at a table. Where our name tag is waiting in front of our chair. But so too are the name tags of all those with whom we differ. It's a community known not for uniformity, but for the sociological impossibility of a unity that transcends all the other differences which run throughout human history and have separated people from one another. The Apostle Paul in Romans and Galatians and elsewhere is arguing for a sociological impossibility. And at the heart of his argument, he seems to believe that by connecting to this root, by being grafted into Christ, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, children, the elderly, black and white, native and immigrant, can become part of something that transcends their differences, that creates something entirely new called the kingdom of God. Paul writes, there's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. We don't lose our particularity, but we gain a universality in perspective and outlook. Between the years 1991 and 1995, the war in former Yugoslavia, quote, increased the already oversized vocabulary of evil with the phrase ethnic cleansing, end quote. According to Dr. Miroslav Wolf, professor at Yale. In his book that I'm reading, Exclusion and Embrace, he argues that Christian faith has the capacity to embrace the other without demonizing them. We've seen the alternative. Ethnic cleansing to drive out the other, only the pure bloods, the Pure culture can live in the land. Quote, the result, a world without the other, he writes. Quote, the price, rivers of blood and tears. Miroslav Volf is an ethnic Croatian. And he writes, I spent some six weeks in war-torn Croatia in the fall of 92. Its territories were occupied, its cities and villages destroyed, and its people killed and driven out. There it became clear to me what, in a sense, I knew all along. The problem of ethnic and cultural conflicts 
is a part of a larger problem of identity and otherness. The book of Romans is struggling with those same issues as Paul reflects on the place of the Jew and the Gentile in God's unfolding drama. It's the problem of identity and otherness. We now have added to our vocabulary expressions like cancel culture. We tear down statues seeking to cleanse history of the unwanted past. We're whitewashing history books. We sit in moral judgment on those who preceded us. The greatest danger, it seems to me, is that we're overly confident in our own perspective. We think ourselves so morally superior that if you don't agree with me, you should be cleansed from the church or cleansed from the political party or the community or the country. Is this not one branch saying to the other branch, I'm better than you are? So do not become proud, but stand in awe, writes the apostle. For if God did not spare the natural branches, perhaps he will not spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Remember that it is not you that support the root, but the root that supports you. So let judgment begin with the house of God. If we're truly rooted in Christ, grafted into the kingdom of God, why are we so sure of ourselves rather than humbly grateful for God's kindness to each and every one of us? Why do we feel so superior to others in our nation because of where our ancestors came from or when they came or what deck of the ship they came on? What difference does it make, really? Every deck deck of this ship that we're on at present is infected with COVID-19. We're all vulnerable in this together. Every deck of this ship we're on is infected with the sin of arrogance and cancel culture and ethnic cleansing and fear of the other. This is no grand vision, but a sad one. This isn't our finest moment. It's potentially a tragic moment in our history. The news this week from Liberty University is an example of what happens with hubris. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Paul knew it's not just how you act in the world, but what you think about. It's not just how you treat others, but how you think about them. And how you think about yourself, your own identity that matters. God's unity is not what we might think. It comes as a gift. It comes more as a byproduct than by our constant attention to building unity. The community that's focused upon the mission of Jesus Christ begins to move toward addressing the needs of others, finds unity and community along the way. You know, with night vision... You actually see things better if you don't look directly at it. It's in one's peripheral vision that the object comes into focus. And unity within the faith community comes into focus in reality better in peripheral vision as well. The church focused exclusively 
uh, on becoming more unified will never realize its dream. It will more likely attempt to become uniform and thus cease to be the church of Christ altogether. You know, there's this old story about a station that was established on a dangerous seacoast in a place where many ships were wrecked due to the stormy seas and the precarious coastline. And again and again, brave volunteers went out into the stormy seas to rescue people from drowning. Often those who were saved joined the courageous and dedicated group of volunteers and the group began to grow. So they built new sheds to protect their boats and provide shelter for those who were rescued from the sea. And before long, they erected a building for the victims of shipwrecks where they could be more comfortable and added a restaurant and then some game rooms and a lounge for themselves. And the station grew in size and prestige. Many more members joined. Time passed. The members hired workers to do the life-saving while they came to enjoy the club. And soon, members began to express dissatisfaction with the inconvenience of having wet floors from the rescue efforts. So at last, they held a meeting and discussed and decided to continue the life-saving effort, to, excuse me, to discontinue the life-saving effort altogether. Now, some members complained that they had abandoned their primary purpose, so they resigned and they started a real life-saving station down the coast. The story goes that you can visit the seacoast today in Australia and you'll find a series of exclusive clubs, but not one life-saving station anymore. You see, the church is fundamentally a life-saving station. It must never become a private club. But it's the nature of things to gravitate to where we're most comfortable and to seek our own comfort rather than to embrace the purpose of God. It's been said that Jesus came not only to comfort the afflicted, but also to afflict the comfortable. And it's the mission of the church and our focus upon it that will lead to greater unity in our community. As we, as a community of faith, embrace the work our Lord has called us to do, we'll increasingly discover the surprise of being connected to one another less isolated, less self-reliant, more connected, more alive across the many differences that divide us. We'll relate to one another across the age spectrum. Generational differences will not impede our care for one another. Gender differences will be celebrated. Men and women will learn together how to live in community and depend upon others. Racial and ethnic differences will not determine who we worship next to or who we enjoy a cup of coffee with in the courtyard. Single people will find the church to be their extended family. Single parents will find the church to be a life-saving institution where there's support for those who are raising their children alone. And those with disabilities will not feel excluded, but will find the church to be one place where their needs are anticipated and their presence is missed when they're not here. God is leading us toward a new community, a new unity centered in Jesus Christ where the needs of each are addressed by the resources of all and where everyone matters and belongs. This is what it means to live in God's garden. So let's all take our part and do our share to build such a place. Whatever you can do to reach out and provide hospitality to others, to volunteer your time and talent, 
to build up the community, to share your treasure and resources, to meet the needs and commitments of the church, offer to the whole, to all of us, with gratitude and generosity. It's more important than you think and you know. We belong to one another because we belong to Christ. It's a sociological impossibility, perhaps, but it's precisely what the world needs most. A new community created for the purpose of saving others, and in the process, we find our own deepest needs met. Those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord, are like trees planted by the water. They do not fear when the heat comes or the year of the drought because they have roots beneath the surface that nourish them and so they continue to bear fruit in spite of what's happening above ground. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit and glorify God. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Thanks be to God. Amen.